St. Warburg's Derby. I was, um, I was standing in, in our kitchen uh, the other uh, day, um, making the evening meal, as you do, and uh, feeling a bit disconsolate because we just moved to Derby and we're still a bit disorientated and uh, feeling a bit sorry for Pentecost again, feeling a bit sorry uh, for myself. And I was listening to Classic FM because there's snatches of classical music come on between the adverts. And... Uh, I suddenly heard this. Recognise it, anyone? It's um, by Sibelius, and it's called Finlandius, perhaps the most famous thing he wrote. He was writing as a Finnish uh, composer, and he wrote that in 1899. And it's a very, part of a very turbulent piece, but in the midst of the turbulence, there is this serene passage. Now, the reason why I was arrested is because there are Christian words that have been uh, written and set to that tune. They're quite old, so they're all right with me, and here they are. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. And it's that first line, be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side, which sort of caught my attention because I was vaguely thinking about this sermon. And the title of this sermon is uh, God is for us. We're in the, and I'll come back to Sibelius at the end, uh, so don't forget him. Um, we're in the midst of a series about identity. And we've been discovering, I've been dipping in and out and not been here much, but I've been discovering that, uh, we are discovering that our identity is not bound up with uh, what we do. It's not bound up with the things we possess. It's not bound up with our achievements. It's not bound up with our background. It is to do with relationship. And as God's people, our relationship to God, who is our Heavenly Father. That is my identity. I belong to God, and he belongs to me. And the particular um, thing that flows out of identity this morning that we're thinking about is that because God is our Father and we are his children, um, we can rest assured that he is for us and not against us. 
Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Now, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. Um, We're going to look at it very briefly because I've got 20 minutes uh, before I'm rugby tackled by Andy, if I go on. Um, And I want to say just three things, really, about uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. The first thing is that God is on our side uh, against the odds. When you look at the first part of that passage, uh, Paul is talking, he says, what shall we then say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now he asks three questions. First one is the, is the bottom line there. Who will bring any charge against you? And the answer is, no one will because God is for you. And yet people try to bring charges against us as Christians. They say, you're a Christian. You're not really serious. Will God accept you? Are you good enough? The answer is no. And people bring charges against us, very, sometimes directly, sometimes very subtly and indirectly. But we stand there and we say, no, I am not. But God is for me. And then there's the next charge uh, in, in the next bit. Um, who then is he who condemns? So some people will say, um, will say that, that we are charged with uh, injustice or whatever it may be or, or, or presumption. Other people will talk about uh, the fact that um, we could be condemned. And people say to us, well, you know, you're, you're hypocritical. You're not what you say you are. This business of being with God... And and people try to condemn our Christian situation. And again, Paul is saying, no, 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 they won't succeed because God is for you. And then the third thing is that some people will will try to separate us. Who can separate us, he says in verse 35? Who can separate us from the love of God? The answer is no one can because the love of God is stronger than anything. We are held in that love. And people that you may discover in your family, people may say, you know, don't take this seriously. It's not going to last. It's just a phase. Can you really believe in God? And, and we receive sometimes those sort of pressures. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter whether people charge you, whether people condemn you, whether people try to unravel your faith. It will not work because in all circumstances, God is for you and not against you. Okay? That's the first thing. Now, the second thing about, being God, about God being for us is that he's, he's, he's for us in all circumstances and under all conditions. So Paul then goes on to talk about distress and nakedness and peril and sword. And he, he wants his people to understand, and I, and I want us to understand that the fact that God is for us does not mean that life will be easy. And that is a basic mistake that is sometimes made by the church. It's, it's a very shallow, false theology. It's not made by St. Werberg's Derby, of course, because you're mature Christians. But the danger sometimes is to say, God is for me, so everything will be all right. And when things go wrong, you say, where is God? What's all this about? No, no, no. Paul says, 
because God is for you, it might get worse actually before it gets better. There will be turbulence. There will be difficulty. There will be hardship as a child of God. But God is for you. And when you become a Christian, then in Christ you are always secure, but not necessarily safe. And there is a very big difference. And I'll bring that out with Sibelius at the end because that lovely calm passage is in the midst of much turbulence. So God is for us uh, in all circumstances, under all conditions, and forever. And so the last bit of the passage um, comes in verse 35. In all these things we are more than conquerors, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor future nor things to come, nothing can separate us ever from the love of Christ. Now that passage goes back to uh, the earlier part of Romans 8, verse 18, and it's what is known as, a, as, as an eschological. And is, is that the right word, Andy? Eschological? Yeah, it, it's to do with the end times. Theologians are people who find a simple word and, tra- and transfer a, a difficult one onto it. Um, so uh, they talk about the eschatolo- eschatological nature of this passage. But it's about the end times. And Paul is saying, you know, the fact that God is for you, he will never let you go right to the end. Now, by modern standards, I'm not old. What are you laughing for? (laughs) But at mid-70s, I know that I'm on the last lap. Earlier this year, I had an operation for prostate cancer. There was talk about um, a heart, not a heart monitor, a, what do you call them? Pacemaker. I'm waiting for a hip operation. Phil has given me a stick. He thinks it's funny. (laughs) And I'm going deaf. My wife arranged, without any consultation, uh, um, an appointment with the the boots chemist, whatnot. And um, I failed the hearing test. So I've got some hearing aids, which I've lost. And what I want to say to Sue is you just need to articulate more clearly and not to speak from a different room. I am not deaf. So cancer, heart, hip, hearing, I'm on the last lap, Andy. But I know that God will never let me go. I am securing him for time and for eternity. So Paul just sketches out those three things. God is for us, not against us. He's for us, uh, he's for us in all circumstances. He's for us under all conditions, and he's for us forever. Now, two questions are right. The first one, how do we know that that is the case, that God is for us? And the answer really is threaded right through the passages. is because the love of God. And four times in the final four or five verses, Paul talks about the love of God. The love of God is the evidence that we are secure in him and that he is for us. The lo- and it is a Trinitarian love. First of all, it is the love of the Father who created us and who holds us. And to whom you are precious... He's not interested in what you can do. 
first of all, or what you have achieved, or where you've come from, or how many degrees you've got, or who your friends are. He is just interested in you, with all your foibles and all your warts and whatever. He delights in you. I want you to know God believes in you. I've been a vicar for 50 years. And if I had my time over again, one thing I would change, I would say far less to people, do you believe in God? And I would say far more, do you know God believes in you? He really does. So we're held in the love of God the Father. We're held in the love of Jesus the Son. And so Paul talks about the love of God shed abroad through the death and the resurrection of Christ, who is now at the right hand of God praying for you and for me and for our well-being. And we are held in that love by the Holy Spirit. Now chapter 8 comes after chapter 5, which is, I'm not very good at maths, but I know that. And chapter 5 to 8 is, is a package, really, in, in Romans. And right at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul talks about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy, Spirit to bring, Holy Spirit's job to bring us into the, into the um, orbit of the love of the Father and the Son. And so this love in which we are held is Trinitarian. I want you to know this morning that you are held in the love of God. You are held because of the death of Christ. You are held by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you are secure. So that leads to the second question. Where does that leave us and how do we feel this morning? And I don't know in what mood you've come to church. Andy began this morning talking about we may come full of joy there may have been tragedy and difficulty and I don't know what your situation is but I do want you to know that you're held in the love of God and that can make all the difference God is for you not against you God is your father you are in the family you belong you know who you are you know where you're going you know where you live I remember <laughs> when we uh, when we um retired from active ministry eight years ago um, we had to look for a house and I went up Guildford High Street into the estate agents asking about houses and, and you know they settle you down and they, they say now let's have the details Mr. Brace well, you tell them what, what sort of range are you looking for and when you say the range that I was looking for the interest sort of drops off a little bit but they pick up the pen and, and at some point this guy said to me now uh, have you got an email I mean this is a few years ago and I said, well, I have, but, you know, I can't, I don't know what it is. I can't remember. I'm better now. I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you phone the church office, there'll be someone there, and they will tell you my email. He couldn't believe it. So he said, well, we'll do it now. He said, picked up the phone. And at the other end of the phone was my daughter, Anna. And uh, she must have said, uh, hello, Anna Bracewell. And he obviously made the connection, Father. And, and so there was a little bit of ribald dialogue between the estate agent and my daughter and when I got home that night Anna said to me dad you had a funny phone call from an estate agent she said I've got your dad here and she said for one terrible moment I thought he was going to say he's forgotten where he lives <laughs> <laughs> and she said Robert and I and, and Ben we've been thinking about care homes but we didn't think it would be just yet some of you think that Anna Mann is a sweet and gentle lady. You can come and see. The whole family are terrified of her, especially Phil. 
She's kind, she's lovely, but she's sharp. I said, Anna, don't be so rude. I may not do emails, but I know who I am. I know where I live. I know where I belong. I know where I'm going. It is that security that we have in Christ. I want you to know this morning, and as you come to communion in a few moments, you may want to come over. uh, um, Andy will talk to you about this uh, and uh, pray. I have someone to pray with you. But I don't want you to go away this morning without just realizing again that if life is turbulent or even if it's gentle and smooth at the moment, you are held in the love of God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and gives his spirit to dwell within you. And you're held however turbulent life may be. Now let's just listen again to Sibelius. And this will be the end of the sermon so you can really relax now. Two minutes. Thank you.